彼得前书第二章七到十节。所以在在呃，他在你们信的人就为宝贵，在那不信的人有话说，将人所弃的石头，已做了屋角的块呃头块石头，又说做了绊脚的石头，叠人的磐石，他他们既不顺从，就在。道理上半叠，他们这样半叠也是预定的。唯有唯有你们是被节选的组类，是有金尊的祭司，是神界的国度，是属神的子民，要叫你们宣扬那找你们出黑暗入奇妙光明者的美德。你们从前算不得子民，现在却做了神的子民；从前未曾蒙连靴，现在却蒙了连靴。First Peter chapter two verses seven to ten. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious; but to those who do not believe, the stone that The builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I'm so grateful to be here today, talking about part two of the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy,、uh, chapter 32. But first, I have a joke for you guys. Einstein. Had a chauffeur who would drive him around from university to university, while he'd give his lectures to the students. And one day, at the end of a long week, it was the last lecture, and the chauffeur was driving him to it. Einstein was really tired, and his chauffeur said, "You know, I've heard you give these lectures so many times. I bet I could say everything you say. I bet I could give the lecture." And Einstein laughs and he says, "You know what? I'm so tired. Why don't we try it out?" And so they pull over on the side of the road and they switch clothes. And the chauffeur just so happens to have hair—the same kind of hair as Einstein. So Einstein puts on the chauffeur's hat and drives his driver to the lecture. And believe it or not, it goes off without a hitch. The driver gives the lecture perfectly. Everybody is amazed. And when it gets to the end of the lecture, there's the Q&A part where they're asking questions. And there's one student who's been saving this question, hoping he can stump who he thinks is Einstein. And he asks the question and. Everybody's silent. They're like, "Oh, there's no way he can answer this." And the Einstein, who's actually driver, the driver in disguise, looks out at the audience, looks at the student who asked the question, and says, "That question is so simple. I'm going to let my driver answer it for you." <laughs> Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, Chris Gertner spoke on the first nine verses of Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Song of Moses. So I'll be looking at. Verses 10 to 20, the next 10 verses in that chapter today. The Song of Moses 
describes Israel's relationship with God, both as a witness for God and as a reminder to Israel to avoid the mistakes of the past and try to avoid them in the future. And we know they don't do that, but we'll come back to that later. And what we're going to try to do as we look at these verses is find any parallels between, Israel, parallels between Israel's relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus. But before we go on, let's pray, and then we'll read these verses. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would quiet our thoughts and our hearts and just open our minds to you to hear your word this morning just for the next 20 minutes. Take captive any distractions that we have, and may you help me remember that it's all about you and it's not about me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 to 20. In a desert land, he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the field. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock and with fattened lamb and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they'd not known. Gods that had recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. Okay. So these ten verses we can break up into three different parts. The first five verses discuss what God has done for Israel. Then the next three talk about how Israel responds to those blessings. And then the last two are God's response in turn to Israel. So to start off with, let's look at what God has done for Israel, starting in verse 10. In a desert land, he found them in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. So this is talking about God finding Israel in the desert. And it's referring to both Egypt and the wilderness that he led them through to get to Canaan. But it's also describing something else. It's describing the spiritual state of any person who is without God. A barren and howling waste. If you don't have God, you are alone. And for all intents and purposes, you're in a desert. My brother and sister got back a little over a week ago from a trip to Mongolia. And they got to travel out into the Gobi Desert to a place called the Singing Sand Dunes. And they occur in certain deserts around the world, and it's where the sand builds up so high and it starts falling down from the top of the sand dune, or the wind pushes it down. And as the, particles, the sand particles begin rubbing against each other, it creates this hum that you can hear across the entire sand dune. It's so cool. Hence the name, The Singing Sand Dunes. You can look it up on YouTube. You can hear the noise. It's really incredible. On one of these trips out into the desert, um, my brother and sister, they came across a baby eagle that had fallen out of its nest, right? Uh, I think we have another picture. Okay. Uh, Back up, back up. Back up, one more. Sorry. I guess we forgot to add these in. Back up one more. It's okay. We'll just leave it right here. So... 
The baby eagle fell out of its nest, I don't know how many hundred of feet, hundreds of feet up, but out of the side of this cliff face, on the edge of a canyon, its nest was up there, and it had fallen out. And my brother and sister found it laying on the rocks. And my brother took it and tried to hike up as close as he could get to the bird's nest to get it back there, the baby eagle. Um, but he couldn't get it all the way up to it, so they just put it close. So I want you guys to imagine with me, if you can, how unlikely and difficult it would be to find a small bird in the desert, or to find an animal alive in the desert by chance. You know, scratch that. Imagine with me finding a person. First of all, it'd be terrible. You'd, you'd be moved. You'd want to help them get them to a hospital as soon as possible. But second of all, your chances of finding a person at random in the middle of 200,000, oh, sorry, 500,000 square miles of dirt and sand is next to nothing. Unless you knew they were missing, right? Unless you were out there in the very beginning looking for them, trying to find them. And that's the distinction you have to catch here, is that God doesn't accidentally stumble across you on his way to somewhere else, right? He's out there searching, seeking, and looking for you. And the only reason that you are found is because he was looking for you, not because you were lucky. Next we read in verse 11. Oh, sorry, at the end of verse 10, he describes Israel as the apple of his eye. That's the pupil, the most sensitive and important part of the eye, and that's how important we are to him as his chosen people and how important Israel was to him. Moving on, we go to verse 11. We read, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. So in this example, God is an eagle, a fearsome, powerful bird of prey, right, that protects us and watches over us as we grow. And then when we're old enough to leave the nest, he carries us on his wings as we learn to live like him. I don't know if you guys know this. Again, you can watch it on YouTube. But when eagles teach their young to fly, when they get them to the point where they're outside of the nest and they're practicing in the air, the father eagle will fly under and a little bit in front of the young eagles and will have his giant wings outstretched like this and kind of coast. And at any moment where the baby eagle falters or makes a mistake or gets tired, it can rest for a moment on the wings of the father. And if you don't have the father, you're lost. You're alone. You're at the bottom of a cliff in the middle of the desert like the baby eagle that my siblings found. But what God is training us up to be is written in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who put their hope in God will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Moving on to verse 12. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. Now this, to, this was to remind Israel that God was the only God that had led them through these obstacles and overcome these enemies. No other God helped them. And because that God should be the only recipient of their praise and their thanks. They shouldn't give praise or thanks to any other gods. And this is really important because it ties in ahead later with verse 17. So remember this. Because too often, you guys, we dismiss idolatry when it comes up in the Bible as something that we don't deal with because we don't recognize what it looks like in our lives. Okay? So keep this in the back of your minds. We're going to come back to verse 12 later. Then ahead in the next two verses, verse 13 and 14. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the fields. 
He nourished him with honey from the rock, with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock, and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. I'm hungry after reading that. I don't know about you guys. In this section, you can see the wealth God is blessing his people with. You can hear the livestock. You can almost taste the food and the wine that he's giving to them. God blesses his chosen people, and that includes us. Why? Because we are adopted in Christ. But I want to focus on that first part of verse 13 where he says, he made him ride on the heights of the land. Let me make sure I have that right. He made him ride on the heights of the land. What is this referring to? God taking Israel from conquest to conquest against enemies and nations more powerful and stronger than them. Right? And then they reap the benefits of the lands they conquered. This is huge. We can't just skip over this. First, because the things God had to do to get Israel to where they were were miraculous, but even more so because the faith Israel had to have in God was immeasurable. Now, did Israel turn away at times? Absolutely. We read about it here in the Song of Moses. Was Israel so hard-headed God had to speak to them through prophets and even then sometimes they wouldn't listen? Absolutely. But every instance where Israel decided to put their trust and their faith in God and obey him, he never failed them. And that's the powerful lesson for us, you guys. Because God is calling each of you to something different. You may not respond every time he calls. He may have to speak to you through people around you and circumstances in your life because you don't hear every time. You're not listening all the time. But he is calling you. And that's good, but it's also scary. Because when God calls you, he doesn't tell you how. When God reveals his will to you in your life, you don't get to look it over first, make sure he checked off all the boxes. You don't get to make sure God's covered all his bases. You're either in or you're out. You either put your faith in him that whatever impossible, unconventional, inconvenient improbable thing he's trying to do in your life is possible with him or you just stay in your box because let's face it you guys God calls us as followers of Christ to do the impossible look at Gideon Samson Joshua each of these people had faith in impossible situations Nelson Mandela says it always seems impossible until it's done Corey Ten Boom says, faith is seeing the invisible, believing the unbelievable, and receiving the impossible. I have an illustration I want to do for you guys this morning. If I could have my volunteer come up, Wesley. Hope my paper doesn't blow away again. For this example, let's pretend that I'm God and you're you. Okay? <laughs> And uh, you can come around on this side so people can see you. And just wait, just wait a minute, okay. Now, do you know how to ride a bike? Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, just for demonstration purposes, could you bike from here, maybe just cross the speed bump and then you can get off and bring it back. Just show us that you can do that. Okay, that's good. Bring it on back over here. 
So guys, when God calls us to do something, very often he calls us to do it his way, not our way. He calls us to do it in a way that usually flips what we know on its head and is very, sometimes uncomfortable for us. So Wesley, do you think that you could bike from here to there, you know, without falling or hitting somebody in the audience or running on stage with your eyes closed? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Have you practiced that? No. You might have some questions for me. Why do I want you to do that? How do I expect you to do that? What good is that going to do? What if I told you I know you can do it? What if I, I just said you need to have faith in me? Do you have faith in me? Yeah? Okay, then let me put this blindfold on you and I want you to try it. All right, let's back it up. All right, just hold on right there. Let's go ahead and put your leg over the, yeah, there you go. Cover the nose. All right, a good thing we don't have more than one person in the front row, so there'll only be one casualty this morning. All right, go ahead. Let's see if you can do it. Try not to fall. Good job. Let's give him a hand. You can take the blindfold off. Thank you, Wesley. You can go have a seat. So, you guys, the point is you can't expect to know how God's going to work something out in your life if you're not first willing to step out in faith and respond to his call in your life. No matter how impossible it is. No matter how impossible, you guys. And that's what the song of Moses reminds us of, that without faith, nothing's possible. But with faith, nothing is impossible. So that's what these first five verses Explain to us what God did for Israel, how he found them, he saved them, protected them, and blessed them. Now let's look at Israel's response in the next three verses, starting with verse 15. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. So here things quickly get uncomfortable and a little bit real and relatable for us. <laughs> now, Jeshurun is describing an upright people and is talking about Israel. And in this example, they're being compared to an oxen that's been so well-fed, it's gotten fat and started becoming lazy. And it starts kicking at the plow when it's time to work. I apologize. Google images would not help me find a picture of a fat oxen. So I think this is a Photoshop picture of a cow, but it does the trick. You get the idea. But the way this becomes uncomfortably real is when you start to think about how many times in your own life have you done this? How often when things are going good for you and you're feeling the benefits and the blessings of God, do you tell yourself it's okay to relax? Maybe it's okay to indulge a little bit? Because you deserve it. After all, things are going good. And then what happens? You start to focus more on the blessings and you take your eyes off of where or who the blessings are coming from. And you begin to become consumed by the blessings. And that's the point where you completely lose sight, like Israel did, and turn away from God. Uh, moving on to the next two verses, 16 and 17, we read, They made him jealous, and their foreign gods 
with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they did not know, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You guys, here God gets jealous. God was and always will be a jealous God, and not in a petty way, in a holy and righteous way. And this ties back in with verse 12 earlier. Why is it so important for Israel to know that God's the only God? Because God knows what it means for Israel, what it means for any of us if we worship anything other than him, other than the one true God. He knows what it means for us. Too many people think they can serve two masters. Too many people think that they can compartmentalize their life and that one area doesn't have to necessarily affect the other, but we know that's not true. We know that's wrong. Nobody can serve two masters. Every part of your life affects the rest, and God needs all of it. Now, the way that idolatry is so relatable to us is right there in that part in verse 17 where it says, they sacrificed to false gods, gods that recently appeared. Gods that recently appeared. That's a scary line. Written in Deuteronomy, in the Bible, for the Israelites a long time ago. But you guys, it's also written, it's also written today for you and me in 2018. What new gods have appeared in your life this year? Social media? Sports? World Cup, television, video games? What about academics or your career, maybe even your reputation? Idolatry is putting anything above God. And the moment you start thinking that you're above idolatry, that's when you start turning a blind eye to your own sin. And then in verse 18, we read, you deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. And this is an example of the heartbreaking behavior of Israel towards God. And it's such an important point that God calls one of the prophets, Hosea, to live his entire life as a graphic depiction of Israel's betrayal of God. God calls him to marry an adulterous woman, and he charges him to love and accept her back into his home and his arms time and time again after she continues to leave him. And it's a very sad and tragic example. But it still rings true today, you guys. Christ was given to us, and we crucified him. God gives us the gift of eternal life, unending grace. And how many times do we return like dogs to our own vomit to what we think is better than his love for us? So that's how Israel responded. They grew lazy. They started worshiping other gods. And finally, they turned away from God, making him jealous. So in the last two verses, we're going to read God's response to Israel. 19 and 20. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. Okay, so here, you guys, we see that Israel and us, if we turn away from God, he doesn't jump to judgment, but first he starts to remove his blessings from Israel. Or as it says here, he turns his face away and he allows them to see what their own ends will be. And this is simply because God gives us free will. God's never going to force you to do anything. And no matter how painful or sad it might be for him to watch you go down that path because he knows what's at the end of it, 
He's going to allow you to make your own choices every time. Pinocchio is one of the best examples of being given over to your own ways. For those of you who don't know, it's an old Disney movie about a puppet maker who makes a puppet named Pinocchio and he becomes alive, but he wants to be a real boy. Now Geppetto, the puppet maker, loves Pinocchio as if he were his own son. Much in the way that we are adopted in Christ. But that love is not enough for Pinocchio. He searches for something else to make him feel valuable and real. He wants to become a real boy. And he follows and pursues that something else to dangerous, I'd say lethal ends, because it ultimately ends up killing Pinocchio. And it's not until the end of the movie when he's reunited with his creator that he's complete. Most people think it's because now he's a real boy, but that's not actually true. It's because the entire time the most important thing was his relationship with his creator, the love Geppetto had for him, but he didn't realize it. He was searching for validation, trying to find value in something else, when the only opinion that mattered was that of his creators, and that person already valued him more than anything the entire time. You guys, God loves you because you are his chosen people, and he will give you over to your own ways, but he will always be waiting behind you with arms open to accept you back if you turn to him. So this is God's response to Israel. He turns his face away, removes his blessings from them, and he allows them to go their own way. So to summarize, God saved and blessed Israel, protected them, brought them up and blessed them. In return, Israel grows lazy because of these blessings and starts worshiping other gods, making God jealous, and then turns away from God. And God in turn turns his face away and gives Israel over to their own ways. This is the song of Moses and it reminds us of who we are Right? We're adopted in Christ. It reminds us of where we were, lost and alone in the desert. It also reminds us of what we live for, Christ's love and the kingdom of heaven. All right. In conclusion, I want to leave you guys with this story about a tribe in Africa that had this tradition they would do every time a woman found out she was pregnant. She would go out with some of her friends into the jungle from the village whenever she found out she was pregnant, and she would listen for the song of the unborn child. And she would listen to the wind and the trees, the water, the animals, the noises. And sometimes it'd take days, sometimes it'd take weeks, but they'd find the song, a unique song for that child, and then they'd learn it. And then they'd go back to the village and they'd teach that song to the entire village so they'd all know it when the child was born. And then when the child was born, the whole village would sing that song to the child. And then when the child started its schooling, they would sing that song to the child. Then when the child finished its schooling, then when the child became an adult, and then when the person got married, and then finally when the person died, they would also sing that person's song at their funeral. This song represented everything about who that person was. Now, there was one other time when the village would sing a song, sing that song to the person was when that person committed a crime or they did something unethical or immoral or socially unacceptable. Instead of punishing that person or outcasting them, they would bring them into the middle of the village, they would gather around them, and they would sing their song to them, reminding them of who they were, 
of what was important to them. You guys, God gave this song. He, he told Moses to give this song to Israel to keep on their lips so that they would remember what God had done for them and could avoid these mistakes in the future. Now time has passed. Things have changed. We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have grace. We have mercy. But this song still rings true. God gives it to us to remind us that we are his portion and he is ours as well. But God can only say you are mine if you remember to say I am yours. So hide this song in your heart. Let's close in prayer. Dearly Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your word so that we can hide it in our heart and keep it with us at all times. Thank you for the song of Moses. I pray you would help us to recognize your call in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.